Passwords are the worst thing ever. Okay, maybe that's a bit hyperbolic, but they are pretty annoying. Here are the top hits of their most obnoxious qualities. One, they cause friction to get things done. Two, who can remember all their passwords? Three, it's easy for bad actors to steal them. Four, practically everything requires a password now, so there's just too many. Mickey Budai, the CEO of Transmit Security, also agrees that passwords are terrible, but he has a great solution to get rid of them. Think about identity as everything from the moment you open an account or register for a website, all the way to authenticating every time you come back to authorization, all your permissions, and to making sure that no one is compromising your account. So all the privacy aspects around it, all this is identity management. And within identity management, we are really focused on solving the biggest problems that the market has today when it comes to cybersecurity. Is when identity meets cybersecurity, and one of the biggest problems is obviously passwords because they're bad and they are the cause for more than 80% of all the attacks and the breaches that we're seeing today. If this was a monster flick, it'd be one where the scientists created the monster, passwords, because they thought it was going to serve humanity in a specific way, but then they lost control of it. Passwords would be that devious type of creature with the capacity to easily replicate itself. In order to free an innocent, the hero chops off one of the monster's limbs, and then that limb creates a thousand more creatures. Ultimately, the key to victory is to start writing the movie over from the very beginning and create a world where the monster doesn't exist at all. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Mickey explains the history of passwords as well as their liabilities for security. He also describes promising technology involving biometric data and cryptographic keys that can free humanity from passwords once and for all. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. He is the CEO of Transmit Security, Mickey Budai. Mickey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Albert. It's great to be here. Yeah, man. We're excited to have you. This is the most, one of the fastest growing or more exciting security companies out there. But before we get into it, our audience is going to want to know, what is Transmit Security and what do you guys do? Well, Transmit Security is basically an identity management company. So think about identity as everything from the moment you open an account or register for a website, all the way to authenticating every time you come back to authorization, all your permissions, and to making sure that no one is compromising your account. So all these and all the privacy aspects around it, all this is is identity management. And within identity management, we are really focused on solving the biggest problems that the market has today when it comes to cybersecurity. Is when identity meets cybersecurity. And one of the biggest problems is obviously passwords because they're bad and um, they are the they are the cause for more than 80% of all the attacks and the breaches that we're seeing today. No, that's a great point. Every time we see these big hacks go out, people talk about compromised passwords, how like the number one password people typically have is password one, two, three. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a common thing. Now, one of the things you talk about and we've seen in all the publications on your business is this idea of a passwordless authentication world that you guys are trying to move everyone towards. 
let me ask you a question. Why is this such a challenge? Because you're not the only company working on it, but you seem to be the fastest growing one. Why has the password stuck around since it's basically been around since the beginning of the internet? Wow, it's been around for like the beginning of the internet, before the internet, actually. First well, it was yeah, the password, <laughs> then came the internet, yeah. right? It's like, that's uh, true. It's, it's been forever. And you, you really look at the journey of the password. So it really started as something really simple. We all had like one password. If you look 40 years back before the, uh, the internet, you only had one password. And even with the beginning of the internet, you probably had one password and then it started to become really complex. You had multiple accounts, multiple passwords. Uh, we started to see compromises because passwords were really easy to guess. That was the first generation of attacks, right? Everyone was using, as you said, like, you know, one, two, three, four, really simple passwords to guess. I, I think like two or three years ago, there was a survey and one, two, three, four, five, six was still the um, uh, the most common password. <laughs> and then, like everyone started to realize, okay, this is this is bad. So we need to put some constraints around the password. So uh, started to like all these, you know, probably uh, rules that a password has to be at least six and then eight characters long, right? It has to include capital letters. Uh, it has to include numbers, special characters, right? So it became really complex. And then you are not allowed to repeat your password. Do you remember that? You need to kind of like choose a different password every like three months or so. So people started to have like, you know, ways of thinking about how they can keep the same password, even though it changes every three months. They would add like sequence counters to their own password. Yeah. So your password might be something cool, like, you know, Blue Falcon 2345, but then you'd be like, oh, one, oh, two, oh, three. <laughs> People started sequencing their own passwords. Yeah, the, the, the easiest way would be like, you know, if, if it's like you change a password four times a year, then you go one, two, three, four, and then the year. So it's like one, 2020, two, 2020, and so forth. So uh, it, it still became really easy to guess these passwords. And then we started to see all these attacks starting from phishing attacks, right? It's like uh, phishing became a really big thing and still is a huge attack vector against passwords. And then we started to see compromises of large databases of passwords. And then what, what is called credential stuffing, which is like, taking information you stole from one database. And then because people reuse the same password across all their applications and systems, then you start to use that password across all these applications and compromise all the applications uh, belonging to the same user. So it all became a problem for the password itself. So organizations started to think, what can we do next? Like, you know, how can we, uh, other than, you know, all these constraints and all these rules um, around the password, what else can we do? And then came uh, the concept of two-factor authentication. Okay, let's complement the password with something else. You know, it, start, it really started with knowledge-based questions, if you remember. What's the color of your first car and uh, things like that? And it turns out to be like a really silly idea, you know, for, for, for a couple of reasons. First, it's easy to find out the answers to that. Secondly, people tend to forget what they actually answered for uh, these questions. What's your favorite song? I don't know. It changed. 
or you just didn't type it in exactly. So like, uh, I remember one of my first questions was like, what's your first car or make and model? So it's like, oh, it's a Toyota Camry. But then did I put a space in it? Did I t- capitalize the T? Like you started to have like, or did I just write Camry? Exactly. And many people actually made up answers. Yeah, it really was always painful and didn't work. Probably even today, you still see a lot of um, one-time codes that are being sent to you over uh, typically SMS, text messages, or uh, email, right? So you log in with a password and then you get this text message with a code, you type the code in and uh, you get in. Uh, The problem with that is um, actually two problems. Obviously, in terms of user experience, once again, user experience became even worse. So it used to be really simple, like my password is the same password everywhere. It's like really cool, really simple. I remember it. Then I had like, you know, 200 passwords for 200 different accounts. And now I need to do this and also like, you know, start copying codes from my mobile phone. Uh, That's one problem. The second problem is that it was really or still is very relatively very easy for attackers to bypass two-factor authentication that is based on one-time calls. Especially if I steal your phone. That's probably the hardest way to do it. Yeah, the easiest way to do it is through just the same phishing attack. Real example. So uh, do you have a Google account? I do. Have you ever... uh, got an, an email from Google saying that we've seen you logging in from a new device. Um, you know, this is the location. And, uh, you know, if it's not you, then please do something about it. Have you seen that? Before? Of course. Yeah. So here's one thing that attackers are doing. So they're building this very same email uh, message, right? That looks exactly like this Google alert and they would send it to you. You would get it. You think it comes from uh, Google, but it actually comes from the attacker. There are many tools to do that professionally. So you see like, you know, someone logged into your account from Tel Aviv, Israel right now. Well, it's not me, right? It's like, you know, so you got a link there to click on it and take action. So, you know, you're worried like someone just logged into my account. You click on the link, you actually go to the attacker's website. So you get to the attacker websites, look like, looks like a Google page with your username and password. You like you already out because someone is, is taking over your account. You put in your uh, username and password. Now the attacker has your email name, email and password, right? So what the attacker does using an automated tool is immediately take the username and password that you've just typed in and try to log in with that to your Google account. They do this in the background. What happens is that Google now really sees someone trying to access your account from Tel Aviv, Israel. All right, Google sends you this one-time code over SMS. So now you're getting this code over your, uh, your phone and you think that makes perfectly sense because you just now try to log in. Now the attacker on the same website that you put your your email address and password is now asking for this code back. You put a code that just got in and then the, the automated tool uses that code to complete the process on their side. Now what they actually did, they just added the attacker's computer or device to your list of authorized devices with Google. So now they can use that device to access your uh, Gmail, to access any of your uh, services, 
and they don't need to go through this two-factor authentication again because the device is now known. The attacker's device is now known. You know, the next thing they could do, for example, if you're using Chrome, is to uh, look for all the passwords that Chrome remembers for your account. So you can actually go and look at all the passwords and they're stored, they're stored globally in the cloud. So from all of your computers, you can see all of your passwords for any of the accounts that you use through Chrome. You get just a list of like, you know, probably 100 passwords that you're using across all these applications. And now what's the next thing they can do? Now they control your email address. You don't even know that because they have access the same way you do. And now they can go to any website that you're registered for, type in your email address, and then click forgot my password. What happens when they click forgot my password? The website sends them a one-time link to your Google account, which they have access right reset they click on that they reset the password and now they have access basically your entire life is a mess just because you clicked on that alert that you thought is coming in from google the attackers are doing this enough times in different ways until you and all of us will basically at some point will do a mistake and lose our uh, credentials so that's why the, uh, the problem of the password is, is so big. And it's not just us as consumers, right? It's also us as employees. When they compromise a personal account, a personal Google account, and they look at the passwords, some of these passwords will be work-related. So this allows them to compromise other systems and then you know, move on. So this world is like, you know, the password, this is why the password is such a big problem. And this is why it needs to go away. Now, if you look at all the ways that we've tried to patch the password and, uh, you know, make it more secure. So two-factor authentication doesn't work. Uh, we just saw the example for it. And then the, uh, the other approach would be, let's use all sorts of heuristics to understand whether the account is compromised. So we'll look at the location and the device and the behavior and whatever to make a decision whether it's really you or someone else who accessed your account. The problem with that is that it's never accurate. It can be, it can be like, you know, even if you do detect it, what do you do about it? Do you block? the access for the user uh, because there is um, you know, a, low, a very high rate of false positives and false negatives. So what, what do you do about it? So it goes back to, you'll just do two-factor authentication with an OTP and you know, we're back to the same problem. So I got I to gotta tell my story because my phone, I was signed up to one of the beta versions of uh, an operating system, which was a bad idea. Some of my applications really didn't work. So I decided to wipe my phone. Now, unbeknownst to me, I had a two-factor authentication app. The A lot of the companies that like you mentioned, they now require or ask that you have a second, basically a third-party 2FA app. Well, I didn't realize that if you wipe it, that there's no way to get all your old codes back or re-authenticate your new 2F-factor authentication app back to, I just assumed it was like all the other platform services where I would just get my, reinstall the app, I'd be back to my account, I'd be on my way. So I had to, for the US government, I had to go file for a new, by the way, for those of you who don't know, if you lose your 2FA account for TSA PreCheck, you will have to just delete your account. That's literally their recommendation, delete your account and start over. So I did that. Coinbase was my uh, crypto bank. 
I had to submit my authentication, like my driver's license. I had to submit all kinds of stuff and they do it via web browser so they can get it at the time of request so that they know that it's you just to unlock my 2FA. So 2FA, as you said, a lot of gaps there, right? Operating system damage, which told me if I had, if I had done something innocent, like drop my phone, I'd be locked out of everything, right? And so this device, as powerful as it is, it's also quite fragile. We all know that these devices crack, get damaged, get wet. You, you know this. Like, this is not foolproof either. Yeah. So how are you guys approaching this problem? I, I'd love to understand the difference with tra- what is, how is the transmit methodology? You know, you can go passwordless in multiple ways. So for example, these authenticator apps could log you in without passwords. So they could, for example, leverage the biometrics of your phone, right? It's like either fingerprint authentication or face recognition. Obviously with biometrics and um, uh, the fact that biometrics is now embedded in most devices, uh, definitely all the um, new generation of devices include some kind of biometric reader and uh, very reliable biometric readers, by the way. Biometrics is probably the easiest way to go passwordless. We all do that with our mobile applications. Many of our mobile applications support uh, biometric authentication. So instead of like logging into the bank with a password, you log in with your fingerprint or face. Obviously, unlocking the phone itself is done with biometrics today. And we got laptops supporting biometrics, and we now got tablets supporting biometrics. So this is probably the most, uh, the, the best way to replace passwords. But the problem here is exactly what you experienced, which is biometrics and applications are tied to a specific device. So if you register your biometrics on your mobile phone, you register your biometrics on your mobile phone, not on the application that is installed on your mobile phone. The biometrics are part of your mobile phone. They're stored in your phone. They never leave the device, right? So for those of you who don't know how it works, there is actually a coprocessor inside the, uh, the device that is used just for security purposes. And that is the hardware that stores the information like your biometric information. So when the sensor, whether it's a face sensor or a fingerprint sensor, when you use that, that information goes to this uh, specific hardware and it does the comparison, it releases or unlocks the phone or unlocks the application or whatever it is that you're trying to do. It never leaves the phone. So it means that if you lose the phone, if you wipe the phone, if you delete something on the phone, the biometrics are gone and your ability to authenticate with biometrics or with a specific application, even without a biometrics are just gone. And you take another device and now no one knows anything about you. You need to fall back to something. So you mentioned like with a TSA, you had to fall back to scanning your um, you know, identity card, driver license, whatever. <laughs> I had to reapply to my TSA account because they said the only option was to delete your existing account and start over. And I was like, what? And like they said, when you start a new one, it'll see that your old one isn't authenticated to another account. So, But it took a while. I mean, that, that's kind of like what you're saying. It's not instantaneous. This is a process and it's a manual process. You can tell you have to submit paperwork, application, sign things like, come on, man. Like it took a while. 
a lot of applications, what they do is that they just keep the password in the background. Perhaps will allow you to register your biometrics on the device and use your biometrics to log in. But uh, you know, if you lose the phone and you get a new phone, then use your password and then re-register your biometrics. There are two problems with that. The first one is that everything we said about a password in terms of security still applies, right? It means that if I go and steal your password, I could go from a brand new device, you know, and log in with a password and then even as an attacker, register my own biometrics to log in your, uh, into your account. So as long as the password is there, in terms of security, at least, we haven't done much. We actually made it worse. If you use your uh, biometrics on your mobile device for like six months, 12 months, whatever it is, and now you get a new phone and they ask you for a password, will, will you remember your password? Most likely not. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, you haven't used it for uh, like 12 months. Like who knows what it is? You know, the problem is now that you need to recover or like, you know, go through whatever forgot my password process they have and hope that the email address or the phone number or whatever it is, is, uh, is accurate, is up to date. And, uh, you know, you can actually go and recover the account. So you've made the, uh, the problem actually worse, both in terms of security and the, uh, the customer experience. So in order to go completely passwordless, what you need to do is to be able to transfer trust between the different devices that you have. So like each one of us, you know, we have a mobile device, we have a computer or a laptop, we probably have a tablet. So, you know, anything between two devices, four devices, whatever it is, depending on how tech savvy we are. And then every, um, you know, probably 12 months to, to 24 months, we get a new device, whether it's a new phone or a new tablet or a new, or a new laptop. We should be able to transfer the trust that we have on one device to all the other devices. So this device knows who I am, and now I have a new laptop. I should be able to register the new laptop based on my mobile device. Makes perfect sense because now I transfer the biometric trust that I have on one device to another device, and now I can uh, continue to work with the new device. Kind of like, you know, building a network of my devices and everything that knows me to be able to do this recovery in a very, uh, very easy way. And if I buy a new phone and I also have my old phone with me, I can just transfer the trust very easily from these two phones based on just biometrics instead of going through all these processes. So now we got to dive into the magic question, which is how does the transmit work? How, what is unique about how you're doing this? Because we did our homework on you. And I'm looking at a Forbes article actually right now, published June 22nd, 2021. For those of you listening who aren't familiar with Mickey and his company, Transmit Security raised a $543 million Series A, the largest ever for a cybersecurity company, according to Crunchbase. Um, it was announced on this date, June 22nd, 2021. So Obviously, a lot of investors see the future with what you are accomplishing or attempting to accomplish at Transmit. And you're a veteran in this space. You have worked in cybersecurity of some way for quite a bit. You were part of companies before Transmit as well. What is the groundbreaking methodology that you are deploying at this moment that is transforming this passwordless authentication future? 
give us an idea for those because you know we all understand i think everyone listening now knows the password pain it's like we've all experienced it but we haven't experienced what you're potentially offering what what is it that transmit is bringing to market because this is what's fascinating right so in terms of uh going passwordless we used to have like probably an account right and then you had a password to that account very simple connection Okay, so every time the user comes in, regardless of the device, it's like, what's the password? Is it the correct password? Uh, Let's get the user in. Now what we have is we have an account. We have different devices that the user has, and you need to recognize each of these devices. You need to bind each of these devices securely and be able to or allow the user to authenticate with biometrics with each one of these devices. Now, you also need to be able to allow the user to authenticate with one device to get access from a different device. So for example, I go and I want to use my computer or you know what? I want to use your computer to log into my bank account. So I can use my phone, the biometrics on my phone to log into your computer to my bank account and do that without a password and do that in a very secure way. So it's like this multi-devices ability to work across multiple uh, devices. And then comes like, okay, understanding which of these devices are actually mine, which are devices that I've used, you know, like shared devices or uh, even public devices. And then understanding all the connections, all the risk around it, and making sure that I always authenticate in the easiest way, whether it's the biometrics on, on the computer itself, whether it's through my the biometrics on my mobile device. And I always do this securely and in the fastest way possible. So, you know, the technology around it is understanding all the devices, all the linking between the devices, the ability to transfer the session between devices and um, identifying all the risks that are associated with that and mitigating them at runtime, basically behind the scene without the user understanding or, or needing to know what's going on. How does that mitigate what you mentioned earlier in the conversation about, like, let's say, for example, someone internationally has somehow fished your password and they set up their device as part of the authentication. How does Transmit prevent that from happening? Because you don't have a password. We allow you as an organization to go and delete all the passwords for all your users, all your customers, all your employees. Like you just go and delete it. There is no password option. Like even if you ask me, what's your password and you give me a password, that's not a password because there is no password. The hard part about innovative things is when you don't have any reference of it, it's hard to imagine. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like right now I am the guy that was riding a carriage and Henry Ford says, I can sell you a car. I'm like, what? I got a carriage and horse, right? I feel like the guy with the carriage and horse because all I know is what I know. I don't know what you know. Let's say walk into Transmit Security. I get a job with you. I'm like in business development. So I'm going to need access to whatever intranet communication systems you guys use. I'm going to need access to a CRM that you guys use. How do you log me into all these things? Do you just, the day I show up, you're like, hey, put your fingerprint on this and it's going to start authenticating. How does this work? 
Pretty much. So uh, the, the first the first step is identification, and you kind of mentioned it with the uh, with the TSA, where you need to scan something. It's like you know verifying your identity for the first time. So we would take like a driver license. We would take whatever knowledge uh, we have about your identity, your phone on record, and all that to establish your initial identity. That's the first time registration. If you're in an office, this could be like you know even a physical uh, verification of, um, you know, who you are. And then once you do that, you you go and like, you know, you scan a QR code, you register, like devices automatically register, your biometrics is, are automatically registered. And the biometrics on the device are now attached to your identity, like your corporate identity, for example. Once you do that, you can go to any application you have, um, you know, authorization to use. And uh, whenever you go to the application from any device, you, you'll get a, you know, a QR code, you scan a QR code, you authenticate with biometrics on your mobile device. The identity, like your identity, your corporate identity is released to the application and the application lets you in without a password. Now, if you do this from like your laptop, you just got a laptop from the organization, you do this from the laptop and it recognizes that this is your personal laptop and personal laptop uh, supports biometrics, it will automatically register the biometrics on the laptop itself. So the next time you use the laptop to go to any of the corporate applications, all you need to do is to use your finger or face and you get in. You don't need to use your uh, your mobile for that. So now you have like two devices registered under the same account, and you can use each one of them to log in with biometrics. That's how it works. It's very simple. Like in terms of user experience, all it takes is just one biometric scan and you're in. I'm fascinated by its simplicity because I'm looking at, by the way, when you said how we live in a password overburdened world. I opened up my personal budget. It's on the second computer. No one's seen it right now, but I looked at it. My house, 42 accounts. I'm looking at 42 accounts right now, right? Cable, banking, utilities. You add it up, 42 accounts, which I probably don't even have that many. There's probably people with even more than 42. I just happen to have 42. So you mentioned like the reason why it mitigates phishing is because Let's assume everyone used this technology. Like you mentioned Google, Apple Pay, because I've definitely gotten that. So the fish I got was even more nefarious than what you said, which was unauthorized charges on your, I'm like, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't want to pay for that. Like log in. We got some unauthorized charges. So now I have to hover my cursor always on the sender and be like, you know, it's like from at the apple.com. Like, what's that? So I know that's fake. In a world where you're talking about, you're saying, hey, listen, the biometric data is stored on the hardware. It's never stored in the cloud. And therefore, if uh, let's say Apple, Google, if they used a transmit security type function, when I use my biometric scan to log into my account, the reality is that data is never transmitted to the requester. It's not possible because this data is secured solely in the hardware of the device. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. The way it works like technology-wise is that basically we're using cryptography between the device itself and the uh, the service side. You don't store biometric data, you store keys. You store uh, cryptographic keys. On the device itself, the hardware that stores the uh, your biometric information, when you register the device for a specific service or a specific application, it generates a pair of keys, a public and a private key. It stores the private key 
it passes the public key to the application. Now the application has the public key for the private part of it. And then when you actually try to authenticate, what happens is that the application generates a challenge and it then passes the challenge to the device itself. The device itself does the authentication, which releases the private key on the device or in the device itself and then uses the private key to sign the challenge. And then the signed challenge is passed to the service side. Now the service side uses the public side of that key to verify the challenge, that the challenge was actually properly signed. And this guarantees actually that the biometrics that were used in order to unlock the private key actually completed this, the, uh, the process that was ver verified by the service side. So if someone actually hacks into the service side, what they get is just a bunch of public keys and they're public. There's no match. Yeah. And if they actually want to be able to authenticate or steal your, you know, anything that has to do with your biometric identity, they have to break into the phone itself, into this hardware on the phone and be able to extract from that the private key or any information that allows them to impersonate you. So in the event of theft, because you've already authenticated other devices, the whole goal would be, hey, let's say your hardware has been stolen. You log into one of your other devices and immediately report it as disauthenticated. So there's not enough time, basically. Right. Because you have control over your devices, like, you know, you can actually go and see with Transmit, like, these are all my devices and I can revoke this device. I can use any of my devices to log in and see, um, you know, all the other devices and revoke, you know, a specific device. Regardless, it's very, very hard, almost to the point that it's kind of like almost impossible to actually go and break into devices and extract these private keys, at least today. And if you want to do this at scale, if it used to be you break into a database, you get like, you know, 1 million, 5 million passwords and you just walk away with them. Uh, now you need to go and break into 5 million endpoint devices um, and extract the private key from each one of them extract the information before it gets reported stolen. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. When you think back to your career, you've been in security for quite a while now. When did you start thinking that this was a possibility? I mean, we understand that Transmit started, it looks like in 2014, and you had sold another another company, Trusteer, to IBM in 2013. Like, When did you start seeing like this is a possibility? This is the new way we can authenticate devices to make a passwordless future because- the way you're talking about, I can't wait for this to get to consumer applications. Like right now, it looks like it's just for B2B stuff. Like, like I'm already thinking, can my iTunes be like that? Can my Google Play Store can be like that? Can, can everything be like that? So I don't, because I'm tired of passwords too. Like I'm like everybody else, nobody, and I'm guilty. Some of my passwords are the same. I will say that all my utility passwords for anyone out there, all my utility passwords are the same, not any of my financial. So if anyone wants to break in and pay my utilities, help me out here. <laughs> but, but. But you know what I mean? I think all of us as consumers on the consumer side, we're frustrated with passwords too. I'd love to hear like, when did you start thinking of this? How do you see it scaling or does it, is it going to come to consumer side? I'd love to hear your opinions on this stuff. It's definitely coming. 
So if anyone is listening and is the owner of a consumer application, the technology is here, the technology is ready, you can integrate it, you can go passwordless within weeks. The technology is here and actually I would say it's it's really ready. I mean, there, there is this curve until like, you know, people actually start to adapt something new, but it is ready. Uh, Microsoft is using passwordless technologies now with specifically with Microsoft accounts. Uh, the technology is ready and should be integrated into any consumer facing application. In terms of when we actually understood that this is the uh, the next big thing. This was actually when we were at Trustier. And what we did at Trustier was, uh, well, basically fraud prevention. We were, we had this system that identified compromised endpoint devices, compromised with malware. And uh, we were able to alert the different service providers, the different application owners that the endpoint device is compromised and they should be uh, you know, really careful about whoever is trying to log in from this device. But we've realized that this is just another patch to the problem because compromised endpoint would usually typically result in compromised credentials because the malware that sits on your endpoint device on your computer would wait to see until, like wait for you to enter your credentials steal these credentials and allow the attacker to log in from a different device so we realized that this is just another patch to the problem and then in 2014 i, I think uh, this was the uh, first touch id release of Apple, even though there were like, you know, biometric readers before that in some laptops like Lenovo laptops and others that included biometric. And I, I believe that Samsung had a biometric reader on their devices before Apple. But when Apple came out with Touch ID, the real difference was the user experience. The user experience of Touch ID was completely different than the previous generations of fingerprint readers. Like if you remember the previous configurations were like you had to swipe your finger very slowly until it actually reads the finger. And it was like very cumbersome user experience, but with Touch ID, it all changed. And when it changed, we realized that the Technology is ready and it's just a matter of time until it's incorporated into all devices and it's going to change the world in terms of our ability to, to fight back account uh, takeover. So that, that was like, you know, the moment we realized that we need to focus on that. Oh, it is amazingly fascinating. For those of you who have not done your homework, we've done a little bit for you. Mickey is, like you said, he was co-founder of Trustier. He developed this idea and thought while he was in Trustier. Obviously, here we are today with Transmit. You're also an angel investor, a serial entrepreneur. This guy is the jam. If you want to read more about Mickey, I would just say Google him. Uh, there's a lot of articles about you. Super fascinating stuff. Mickey, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The Lightning Round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mickey, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Yeah. Got to ask, what was your favorite subject growing up in school? Wow. Has to be math, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, yeah, math. When did you realize for yourself that, hey, you were going to possibly start your own companies? When I was six, I started like, you know, 
an insurance company for my family. Six years old, I was eating paste and glue. Like I had to be told not to eat paste and glue. You're starting insurance companies. We had a neighbor, he was like an insurance agent. And I, I went to see like, you know, my, my friend and this was his father. And I, I, like, I was like, okay, I can do this. I started to collect money from like, you know, family members and started like, you know, kind of like a small insurance company to like, you know, I guess I always knew that I want to do something by, by myself and to be an entrepreneur. What were some of the things that got, I guess, motivated you towards a tech centric career? What were you, uh, what were some like big changes in your life that made you like, oh man, I'm going to go down this path. First, I, I, I got my first computer when I was nine. My grandfather brought it to me like, as a present, as a gift for my birthday. And, uh, you know, I started playing with that. And, uh, you know, ever since then I was uh, like, you know, I was, I was programming for, you know, until I, uh, I graduated from, uh, from high school. So I always knew that I'm going to do something around computers. And, um, you know, I got into to the Israeli, Israeli military, went into a cyber unit. So this is when I knew that cyber is really fascinating. And this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. All of these kind of like came together. And, um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of problems while I was or challenges while I was in the military. So I knew that there, there are a lot of, um, you know, challenges to, to solve. And when I got out of the military, I immediately started my, uh, my own business. And since then, I, I've done like three different uh, or co-founded three different companies. This guy's incredibly successful. The trustier company, which you mentioned earlier, we saw it as public record. It was sold to IBM for a billion dollars in 2013. You come right around turn and start transmit in 2014. I got to ask you, what keeps you motivated? What keeps you hungry? What fires you up the most? The technology constantly evolves new challenges and new opportunities all the time. So that that's what keeps me uh, motivated. If it was like the same thing over and over again, like, you know, if I had to do another company that does exactly what a previous company did or, you know, trying to solve the same thing, I wouldn't be interested. I'm, I'm interested in solving problems. And as new problems emerge and new technologies emerge to solve these problems, this is what drives me. Awesome. And then we got to ask, you know, when you're not developing since you've been, it looks like you've been, you know, very compelled and moved by technology and innovation since, like you said, since you were given that first computer, what do you do for fun outside of the world of tech? Yes, a sport and eating, swimming, rope jumping, gym, skiing, whatever. And, uh, you know, I go to a lot of restaurants. <laughs> oh, got to ask for that one recommendation. What is your favorite? If, if someone were to visit you in Tel Aviv, where's one place you think they just got to eat? One of them is uh, Shila. Uh, it's a great restaurant in Tel Aviv. The other one is Turkey's. It's, uh, it's another one. These are just two out of uh, many, many great restaurants in, uh, in Tel Aviv. Vicky, I enjoyed having you on the show today. Thanks for sharing your vision for passwordless future. It sounds like it's not even the future, it's present. We just need all the other companies to get get on board right now because if you're listening and you had the same problem I've had, that you felt the pain, but 2FA is not good enough if you were to lose your device or get it wiped for whatever reason, the legwork to go get it unwiped is a problem. Like you, you probably don't think about that until it happens to you. But Mickey and Transmit Security are here to solve that. Mickey, thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries, man. It was a lot of fun hearing your story. Thank you, Albert. It was really fun. Nice talking to you. 